Hey, Karuna, welcome to the show. I'm really, really excited that we're finally getting to do this. I'm excited to tell your story and obviously the story of, of Nature's Find. Thanks so much, Chris. I'm really excited to be here with you and get a chance to catch up. It's been a while. This is Karuna Rawal. She is the CMO of Nature's Find, a company that is poised to revolutionize how we nourish our people and our planet. Karuna and I have worked together in the past, and the most meaningful and memorable one-on-one conversation we had took place in the back of a New York City taxi in the pouring rain. I was trying to convince her to take a global job leading all of the communications efforts for a major client. She was considerate, measured, and the consummate professional, despite the chaotic setting for this type of conversation. She told me politely she would consider it, but I knew then and there that it was never going to happen. She had bigger plans, and although at the time I was disappointed as it left me with an important role to fill, I'm now happy that she has taken on this meaningful job that allows her to connect her personal purpose to a company's purpose that is dedicated to changing the way we eat forever. Throughout my career, I've had the privilege to work with some of the world's most revered brands and businesses and run global firms like Saatchi & Saatchi. My passion is to foster purposeful brands and sustainable business practice. I now advise companies on how to outthink, not outspend the competition so that they can punch above their weight in today's global marketplace. I am Chris Foster, the founder of Foster Equity and the CEO at The Next Practice. So listen, you're big kahuna now. You're CMO at Nature's Find. Uh, a, a great company. And as I've been sort of preparing for this, um, you know, one of the things, and this is, this is obviously an, an audio medium, uh, you spell nature's find F-Y-N-D, mm-hmm. right? Can you tell us a little bit about why, why it's spelled that way? So first and foremost, um, we're a company of explorers and our company actually got started Um, with um, NASA-supported research that took us to Yellowstone National Park, where our scientists were actually studying organisms called extremophiles that actually survive in extreme conditions. And the reason they were there is because they were helping NASA study environments outside of Earth, but doing that by studying environments on Earth that mimic those. And the reason I'm telling you the story is as a company, we really believe that um, science can unlock, um, you know, nature's secrets and uh, nature's solutions to our planet's biggest challenges. And so our company is is really based on this idea of exploration, hence the word find. So we were, um, we're all about discovery and finding. And actually the FY comes from um, the organism itself is called Fusarium strain flavolapis. Wait a second. What did you just say? It all started in a volcano. Millions of years ago, actually, when a remarkable little microbe was born. And while it lived there undiscovered, the world's population kept growing. Until suddenly, feeding everyone wasn't guaranteed. But when a group of explorers, scientists, and optimists doing research for NASA discovered the microbe, it turned out to be a new source of nutritious protein the world had never seen before. And inspired by nature's own technology, they invented a new way of fermentation and created Phi, a complete protein with all 20 amino acids. Perfect for making all kinds of really delicious nutrition-packed foods. Talk to us a bit about the decision 
for the various types of products, right? Because you could, you could pretty much make any food substance from this, right? <laughs> um, why did you decide sort of the meat-based product, dairy-based product, uh, you know, more than just meat, obviously, because there are a lot of other players in, in the, in the, the sector. Um, but talk to us about that. Yeah, so as you think about, you know, what's happening with our planet and where there's going to be the greatest opportunity when it comes to feeding people, protein is actually going to be one of those that is going to be critical, um, not just in the U.S., but across the globe. As populations grow, I mean, there's going to be plenty of carbohydrates and fats for people. But protein is going to be that rare resource. And if you think about the way we grow protein, traditional animal protein requires an incredible amount of land and water and um, releases a lot of you know, greenhouse gas emissions. And that's one of the big challenges we have as we go forward. And what we know is as you know, countries in the developing world start to become wealthier, the tendency for there's greater demand for meat and greater tendency to include uh, meat and dairy products in their diet. So it's just not a sustainable, we don't have enough land for us to be able to feed all of us and get enough protein um, for you know, our entire growing population. So it's an incredible area of growth. Um, more than that, I think just, you know, thinking about what we had and really looking at what it could do in its versatility. What's amazing about it is from that same protein, our phi protein, which is what we call it, um, you're able to do everything from making meat-like products to also making dairy-like products to also being able to create it in a powder form that allows you to do protein powders and other lots of other uh, products like flowers. And so it allows you an incredible amount of versatility and it enables us. So if you think about parts of the world where there is this need for food and need for protein, we can literally supply almost every um, occasion of the day. Um, so our product, our protein can actually be turned into products that meet people's needs throughout the day. So we think it's a pretty unusual and exciting opportunity to think about how we bring um, the right kind of nutrition as well as something that's going to nurture the planet. So one of the, the themes recently on, on this podcast has been obviously given the time that we're living in is the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, pandemic has impacted us all in very significant ways. Uh, both negatively and, and sometimes positively, actually. And one of the things that, um, you know, has, has come of this is not only do we have an increased sort of digitally literate population as a result, um, I, I believe, and the stats I've seen are that, you know, we have a much more uh, sustainably oriented uh, decision-making consumer. Um, the, you know, the, the influence in it, especially if you layer on, you know, Gen Z. I changed my entire, like, healthy eating habit. So I've, like, gotten, I started doing more exercise. I, it was quite positive in that way, actually. Definitely just taking care of my mental health, my skin, um, not worrying about so much what I'm wearing every day and what others think, really. Um, the, the fact that, um, brands and businesses that put sustainability at the heart of what they're doing uh, uh, are more strongly to garner brand loyalty from, uh, from this thing. Um, can you talk about how the pandemic basically has impacted you guys just as you're coming to market? Yeah, it was not exactly in our plans. So, um, but what's been really <laughs> fascinating to see, you're absolutely right. I mean, as we started the journey, it was clear that, you know, consumers, especially Gen Z, were becoming more and more um, concerned about sustainability um, across the board. 
right? But what we saw happen in the pandemic, which was fascinating, was you know this acceleration of trends. So much more focus uh, amongst all generations on where their food was coming from, um, what was happening, particularly in the meat industry, which is kind of brought to light um, in a very vivid way during 2020, as those you know um, industries struggled with getting products to shelf, but also exposed some of the conditions under which um, you know people and animals were were being treated in in those environments. So I think there was just a heightened understanding and sense of where does my food come from and and you know re- people really wanting to understand that. That's uh, that's really great and and yet again sort of another sort of positive sort of permanent shift I'm hoping that we get out of this uh, you know horrible period that that we've all come through. And it's interesting about kids being the 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 great educators that's right uh, I, I remember <laughs> i remember back yeah I remember. Greta, Greta Thunberg, <laughs> that's right, right. she's changing the world and she's not alone it's it's been fascinating to see the impact that that generation is having on you know they're they're ready to make the changes that need to happen and they're ready to fight for them and it's been it's been great as a marketer to see that coming to fruition and and you guys have had some good luck um you know, uh, high-profile names: Bill Gates, Al Gore, uh, high-profile companies, Danone, etc. Um, what do you think they see in you? I think what they see is our ability to paint a, a big vision of where we want to go. Um, we are not thinking small. I mean, we are very ambitious in in what we're trying to do. I mean, it. You know, we like I said, we're saying we found a microbe and we're about to go feed the whole world. So that's not. Um, we're not small in our ambition. We also have an extremely, um, you know, a lot of years went into, it's one thing to find the micro, but it's the, the real breakthrough is the technology that can be developed, that can be simple, scalable, and efficient. So you can do it anywhere in the world. And I think that scalability and doing it in a, in a way that can be economical um, as we get to scale is, is really, really important. And I think that's a big part of um, what attracted these investors. And then the third thing is the versatility. Um, you know, the ability for us to, it's not, we're not just making a hamburger or a chicken nugget. We can do a really wide variety of foods. Um, and last but not least, when it comes to food, it has to taste great. And so that is the number one thing that we focus on and what we've been able to deliver because consumers don't want to make trade-offs. They want it all, right, as we know. But, um, and, you know, while our great story and our interesting background will get people um, you know, interested the first time in order to continue to build a brand and build a repeat business, you need great tasting products. And that's one of the things that we've really been able to deliver. So I think that's what's generated um, the interest and the, and, and the funding in our, in our concept. Okay. So now a bit of a shift. Um, I know you from big companies. Uh, and that's pretty much how you've built your career. You know, you've had a very successful career from Procter and Gamble through the Publicist Group, Leo Burnett. You know, running big clients, running big agencies. Um, you're in a startup now. Um, <laughs> Not just a startup, a really early stage. An startup, early yeah. stage startup. Uh, talk us, talk us through that. Like, how, how does that feel? What was that decision process like? And, and how's, it, how's it working? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, a 185-year-old company was where I started my career and then went to like a almost 100-year-old company with publicists and 
Um, so yeah, it's a it's a big change, and I think it was um, it, it was something I, I did think about a lot. But I think it was the opportunity, and I think even throughout my career, even though I've been at big companies, it's always been about I've, I, I've never been sort of the the person that takes that straight defined role. It's always been a little bit of a blank sheet of paper or an opportunity to go build something. Um, even at PNG, even though it's a huge company, I, I started in the food and beverage division, which frankly was a little bit of the stepchild of PNG. Everybody was focused on Tide and you know all the big brands, and we were off trying to make food and beverage work. Um, so I think it, you know, and similarly, when I came to the publicist group, it was to build Arc, um, which wasn't very well known in the shopper space. So I think all of the things I've chosen have always been about being a builder and the opportunity to take something. Um, and, and build it from the ground up. So I think, interestingly, this opportunity had that exact same appeal for me because when I met our CEO, he said to me, I'm going to give you a blank piece of paper and you're going to build this brand. Um, and the opportunity to do that the right way, so starting with figuring out the company's value, the culture, our purpose, our mission, and having all of that line up before you ever put a logo or you know a visual identity out into the world was a pretty exciting opportunity for me and um you know the the one story i tell is as i was trying to think about what i would go do next when i was getting to a point where i thought my agency career you know it was time to go do something else and learn something new and every chapter of my career has been about putting myself in somewhat uncomfortable situations so i can learn and grow i mean i knew nothing about the agency world when i jumped in on the agency side um knew nothing about the startup world when i came here but they've all been opportunities for me to really stretch and grow and figure out new muscles I didn't know I even had. So, um, you know, Mark Tutso was the global chief creative officer at Leo Burnett, um, said to me when, when we were chatting at one point, he said, you know, at your heart, you're a builder and don't ever forget that. And I think that's so true um, as, I, as I really reflected on that. Um, you know, I was looking at opportunities at other big companies, and but something about this opportunity to actually um, choose something that was in line with my own values, personal values, having been a lifelong vegetarian, um, it, it connected with me at that level, and then being able to build something and doing something I had no idea how I was going to do, how I was going to go from running, you know, a 400-person agency. I walked in, I had two summer interns, one of whom was leaving, and I was the only marketing person um, and my job was to go build this brand. So I think it, it's it's those kinds of opportunities that get me excited. And and at the end of it, I'm a foodie at heart. I've always worked in food. I've loved um, that space. And so it was an amazing opportunity for all these things to come together. Risky, for sure, but um, really exciting chance to really make a mark and have an impact. You know, um, the dynamic tension, right, between between the individual and the company, uh, and when that can align, I really think that's when magic starts to happen, right? And so you're not only you know approaching it with your mind and your intellect, um, you know the the emotional resonance it has for you as a as a human being. Right, I think really speaks loud and clear, and 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 you know you, you can hear it in your voice and in your description. This is this is not only a job; it's a calling, it's a passion, it's uh, you know it aligns with my values. It's you know, and that that's a that's a wonderful place to be. So I'm really happy for you. The interesting thing about all of this is, you know, I know you as a fantastic leader, 
you're a great communications leader, you're a fantastic marketer, you're an accomplished professional, um, but you're also a woman. And the startup world for women is a different place. And, you know, as we were going into the, the pandemic, um, there was great movement and start, stuff was starting to equalize and, and, and female founded startups were, you know, getting great funding, etc. Through the pandemic period, that actually crashed. Sur surprisingly, I, I didn't really understand that. Um, why do you think that is? And can you can you talk a little bit about you know, what it means to be a woman in the startup world and, you know, how that's different uh, than, than, you know, businesses where you and I worked as well too, which was much more sort of equal and, and uh, you know, uh, in terms of, in terms of population base between men and women anyway. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a very different world, um, you know, growing up in uh, both PNG and in and the agency world, I was used to seeing lots and lots of women leaders everywhere I turned. Um, and and again, not that it couldn't be improved, but you know, it wasn't as glaring, I would say, an issue as when you come into the space for sure. And I think what happened in 2020. So interestingly, uh, you know, women founded um, startups get you know, there's only like two two 2.3 percent of the funding I think in 2020 went to them. Um, and it's a drop from what it was the previous year, but mind you, the previous year wasn't that great either. So women have always gotten a very, very small percentage of the funding, which is, um, you know, and I think part of it is, I think there's something like 10 to 12% of uh, VC decision makers are actually women. So the partners in those firms are, um, you know, are disproportionately men. And, and I think what happened in 2020 on top of women you know, the ones who had these um, startups were were struggling because just like all women in who are working, they were managing their families and, you know, all of the other responsibilities that traditionally keep falling to women. And on top of it, you know, I, I see now when you have to put the amount of time and energy into a, a startup, it's, it takes everything. And then all of a sudden your childcare falls through, your kids are not going to school. I'm not sure what you do. So I think that has a lot to do with it. It's why women dropped out of the, you know, I think something like 3 million women dropped out of the workforce um, last year. So I think there's a part of it there, but in startups in particular, I think there is still a very strong existing voice club and network. Um, and I think in 2020, when everyone was sort of risk averse and not knowing what was gonna happen, people relied on those existing networks. And I think for women, they haven't yet built up those networks. So it's much harder um, to break through. It's starting to happen. I think we're starting to see, um, you know, slowly these um, women female founders are really starting to make an impact so i think it will happen and i think it will come but man we are way behind um so one of the things i've had to do very actively since coming into the space is to create my own network and to find other women um and there aren't that many of them um and especially you know um and a lot of them are very young and you know are coming into the space for the first time so um, we're trying to figure out how to build, you know, networks, but it's it's going to happen. And I think it's um, it's unfortunate because it is a great opportunity for so many women to, to have an impact. And there's so much passion there. But the women entrepreneurs that I know really struggle to get the funding compared to the male entrepreneurs. And um, it's it's not equal far from it. And it, it really needs to change. But I think it'll change as we get more women in these roles. And that's one of the things I'm um, really excited about being in a position where I can have that kind of um, influence. And, you know, I, I believe 
firmly and you have to see it to be it and, and believe in it. So I think the more women we get into these senior roles, both on the VC side and on the startup side, I think we're going to start to see some change. That's my hope anyway. Um, so, you know, now that you're in this position, what, what advice do you give women, women entrepreneurs, um, women starting their careers, um, you know, you're particularly wise person. Um, what's, uh, <laughs> what do you say to them? I think it's the first thing I would say is really, um, don't wait for perfection. I think that's a big part of what women in general tend to tend to do is, you know, how really wait for, even when it's applying for a job, it's, you know, we like to be hundred percent qualified, 150% qualified before we apply. And I think it's, it's more around taking some more risk um, and being willing to, I think men in general, I found are much more willing to do that. So um, jump in and you'll figure it out. I mean, you know, this job, when I came into it, I had, you know, <laughs> I did not know how it was all going to get figured out. But I think if you, if you get in there, you figure it out, you, you really do. And you have to count on yourself to do that. I think the other thing I would say is, you know, don't wait um, to find that opportunity to live your values. Um, a lot of us, I think, wait too long. You know, as I look back, I wish I had done this, you know, years ago. And um, I think there are those opportunities. And um, I think it's do it now. You know, it it just makes a big difference um, if you can if you can find that passion and nurture it, and you know, learn skills along the way. But get there as soon as you can when you see that opportunity. And then the last thing I say is, who you work for is really really important when you're starting your career especially. Um, I was very fortunate. My first boss was Jim Stengel, former CMO of P&G, and I learned from the best. And then I worked for Chip Berg, who's now CEO of Levi Strauss, and on and on and on. I was very fortunate to have incredible um, leaders, mentors uh, to work for. And that foundation is what gets you, um, you know, capable of being in all of these different situations and being able to make a success out of it. So those would probably be my, my big pieces of advice. And, and the last one, you know, one more bonus is, you know, life, especially I think for working women and working mothers, um, you can't look at it as just a straight ladder. It ends up being a jungle gym a lot. And there's going to be, you know, side opportunities and lateral moves and other moves you'll make. But as long as you're growing and learning and moving towards something, I would say take those opportunities because it's all those different things that I did throughout my career. Things that every time people are like, you're going to go do what? Like you're going to leave, you know, P&G and go do the sales thing. And then you're going to go into the agency side. And, um, but each of those things, and even this move, I got a lot of people saying to me, you could be going to some of the biggest companies in the world. And uh, I said, yeah, but I'm really, I think I can really go make a difference here. And so, I think, you know, figuring out what those opportunities are, and they're often the road less traveled, um, but they, if they're going to give you the opportunity to learn and grow, I would say go for it. For me, this is a great story of when personal purpose intersects with a company's purpose to create an undeniable and compounding effect. Karuna is a seasoned and accomplished executive who's had a fantastic career at multinational companies. She's also a lifelong vegetarian who's passionate about wellness and is a builder at heart. Nature's Find is a well-funded, fledgling company out to change the world. A match made in heaven. Watch this space. I'm Chris Foster, 
and you've been listening to A Punch Above. I love telling the stories of companies and leaders that focus on solving the big problems of our time by punching above their weight to grow a thriving, profitable business. Join me next time for another Punch Above story, and thank you for listening. A Punch Above is a Foster Equity production. Hosted and narrated by Chris Foster. Executive producers Chris Foster and Bev Ho. Production, editing, and sound design by Jim Figueroa. Voice acting by Dylan Foster and Jim Figueroa. Copyright music and news under Artlist and Free Use.